Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky, the Grand Slam Edition. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me is my co-host, Fred Moreland. Fred, we have a lot to talk about this week. We do. We do. its uh, I don't think there's any big dramatic news, but uh, it's a pretty solid week. So, Absolutely. There's a lot of little things to talk about, and we're going to kind of jump around here a little bit, start with the Grand Slam business numbers now um a 1.02 million dollar gate i believe this might be the first non-wwe million dollar gate for a television show since wcw did and that correct me if i'm wrong fred was that the the georgia dome episode where goldberg beat hogan for the title the georgia dome was is a million if you adjust for inflation okay Uh, it was not a million raw uh, Grand Slam did hit uh, $1.02 million. Uh, my little favorite side note of the story is that it was actually a independent uh, worker that bought it, um, that bought the million-dollar ticket. Um, but that Dave Meltzer somehow insisted looked like uh, Kenny Omega, though he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there aren't very many at all in history. Uh, I think that Tony Khan tweeted that Meltzer wrote in the Observer that there'd only been like five to ten, some number like that. I don't have it in front of me, but there there hasn't been very many. Uh, Madison Square Garden once or twice, and a couple from back in the uh, dying days of the Attitude Era's uh, high watermarks, and not much else. So, yeah, it's it's nice to see that they got a million dollars for a TV taping, especially one of this magnitude. But also a little frustrating that the overall attendance numbers were lower than what they were last year. But it feels like there was a little bit of a shift in philosophy here, Fred, because this total gate was higher than last year. But attendance was significantly down, almost feeling like Tony Khan decided to shift away from his approach of just trying to get as many people in the building versus, hey, let's try and make as much money off the people that are here. Kind of the WWE philosophy post pandemic. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely the case because uh, I remember I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. This is called show prep. Why would you do that? Um, but they definitely did jack up the prices like rather significantly between last year's edition and this year's. And, um, you know, that is also why there are that's the source of at least half of the WWE billion dollar TV gates. Uh, there is one I have it in front of me now. Um, the five WWE uh, 
million dollar gates have been 1.2 million uh for sold outs in london and manchester i don't uh Meltzer didn't have a date for those a uh, million dollar for september 19th 2019 raw a million dollar september 10th 2021 smackdown and a uh raw july 25th of this year all in madison square garden those last two topped uh, 1.2 million dollars and the Raw after Mania in 2014 back in New Orleans, that that did 1.1 million. Um, so this is, uh, Meltzer said this is surely in the top 10 all time for just pure numbers. Um, I think that it's hard to, you know, say anything negative about that. You know, you hit a million dollars for a TV taping that's barely ever been done. That's a success. It absolutely is a success. And we're going to talk more about the show later. Um, and th- there was kind of some mixed reviews, a lot of really good matches, but some stuff that is caused some controversy. But we're going to kind of keep it rolling here with the news. Dynamite itself for Grand Slam, um, 1.039 million overall, 0.35 in the 18 to 49 demo, one on cable for the night. Um, really cool to see five straight weeks of a million viewers. I don't think they've ever done more than two straight weeks of over a million before the stretch and i think it was only done twice uh before one of those being the first two ever episodes of dynamite fred it's a little disappointing to see the 18 to 49 drop from the 0.38.39 it was doing the past two weeks to 0.35 but i think this is more of a more of the fault of the i'm trying to think of the best words um just lack of people watching television yeah, that's a possibility. I think that I, I would personally qualify the 0.35 as a mild disappointment. I don't think it's any kind of world-ending issue, but I do think that they would have wanted it to be higher than that, and they'd be lying if they said otherwise. Um, so to end up with that, you know, not ideal, but that's what we got. So, yeah, it's it's just good to see that they're finding some form of consistency and it was higher than what it was previously, which is always a good thing as far as total viewers, but demo you'd like to see a little higher. And I think that will slowly start to creep up as I kind of mentioned last week, this is school starting. People are starting to get into a flow of, hey, we're not going to be going out consistently like volleyball and softball leagues, especially here in the Midwest. They're huge. Uh, during weeknights um, at bars and rec centers, they're done. And hopefully the, the dynamite kind of settles in a little bit to a better uh, 18 to 49. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I think that will be the case going forward, but we'll very much see. There is uh, something that Dave Meltzer expressed concern about in the Observer newsletter this week, which is that, um, which is that, at least his rule of thumb seems to be that uh, television ratings lag behind attendance, that if your company is having a up or downturn, it will reflect in, in building attendance before it reflects in the, uh... hold on one second. I was trying to open the WrestleNomic spreadsheet and my computer is just about to stroke out over it. Um, but the, uh, the issue is if uh, there is going to be a downturn in business, you'll see it in the buildings first before you see it with the TV ratings. TV ratings for AEW are good right now. Meltzer has expressed concern with the state of attendances in the building uh, going forward. Pre-sales, uh, as he po- he's pointing to, uh, drops in numbers. I think one good question at this point is if those drops in numbers are 
regarding uh, rises in ticket prices or if it's just fatigue with AEW in some of these locations. I haven't had the chance to uh, dig deep into like a market by market comparison with where they are versus WWE, which I think would be informative. Uh, but that would definitely be something to watch moving forward. You know, Fred, I'm wondering about this, the fact that there is a little bit of fatigue as far as the pre-sales are concerned. I think some of it has to do with the fact that, hey, a little bit of the novelty is wearing off and kind of uh, hear me out here. I don't think it's necessarily that the product is bad or it's worse than it used to be. I think like if you had a show in Minneapolis, you're going to draw from a wide range. Minneapolis has now had three shows in town. Um and now that they've had three, you're going to get people that like, hey, maybe North Dakota is not going to want to come out. They've already seen a show. And now like, hey, you're running the Northeast pretty consistently. You were just in Buffalo, Albany, and now you're in Queens at uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium. Like, You're not going to get as much of a draw from those fans. Like, hey, if they go out to, like, let's say New Hampshire, are they going to want to go out there? Well, I've already seen multiple shows in the state. I don't need to necessarily go. And I think the initial draw, those people who were going to travel to a TV taping are no longer willing to do so because they've likely already seen it. And you're really drawing specifically from like within a small radius of the actual city itself. Um, I know it's kind of a convoluted answer, but I just think that the people that would travel a little ways to go to a TV taping are less likely to do so because they've already seen one. Yeah, I think so. And for the most part, I think he's really covered the country uh, pretty heavily over the past uh, six to 12 months outside of the West Coast, which continues to kind of be dodged for whatever scheduling reason. Um, but I, I mean, there just is, you know, they've really been hitting Florida and Pennsylvania and New York hard, uh, New Jersey as well, Chicago, of course. Uh, so outside of like California being pretty absent from the list of shows, sites, uh, going back to the end of the pandemic. Um, I mean, obviously there's been a couple exceptions, but it has, had, has not uh, had the number of exposures as these other areas have. So unless he just goes hard on going out West to, you know, Arizona and Colorado and so forth. Um, I think that it's definitely going to affect uh, attendances moving forward. Yeah. And I think the next step is probably to do a little bit more on the West coast, but we'll kind of, see how the schedule shakes up. And I unfortunately don't have it in front of me, but I know there they have at least hit, uh, hit California. And I think there are some plans to go farther out West, but um, as far as kind of going farther and transitioning to a different light um, per Sean Ross type of fightful, um, the great Muda spot. When we'll talk more about Muda here later, where he missed it. Buddy Matthews was intended to write him off TV. And this is a quote from fightful select. Uh, this weekend at Fight Life Pro Wrestling, Buddy told the audience, unfortunately, tonight, I'm going to be the bearer of some unfortunate news. As everyone knows, the House of Black has had some issues lately. As all the members of the House, I speak beyond the wall. We want to thank you for becoming members of the House. Unfortunately, I, like some other members, need to go away for a while. I need to recalibrate. I need to figure out some things. As my brother Malachi once said, this isn't goodbye. This is see you later. Fred, that sounds an awful lot like he is done with AEW, but it also could just be Buddy might have some lingering inj injuries and he just needs some time to just kind of heal up and, and get ready for the next step. Um, did you take, the, take this as he's done with AEW or just needs time off? 
Well, it sounds ominous, but then, you know, within like 24 hours of that getting reported, Buddy Matthews tweeted something out along the lines of don't believe the lies. So despite this being a direct quote from Buddy Matthews in front of a crowd, who knows? Um, I don't know. It's just kind of, yeah, he tweeted um, a gif of uh, Seinfeld of Elaine going fake, fake, fake. So... I don't, you know, it is a, a unique world where you can say that your own quote is fake. Um, I don't know what it means. And frankly, I've kind of like Malachi Black, you know, I was kind of like, ah, oh, this is interesting. We'll see how, where this goes. But now that we have uh, speculation on Buddy Matthews and also Andrade tweeting out a hourglass earlier today, which led to everyone immediately freaking out. Um you know, I'm kind of already over the speculation of is person X, you know, on their way out of AEW early. Uh, it's just very like, oh, we'll see what happens. Who cares? Yeah, you know? I'm I'm kind of over it too. And we had Andrade just a little while ago before we started recording, tweet an hourglass emoji. Um, I, I really could care less if these guys aren't happy and they want to go back to the Fed where they were already unhappy once. By all means, go for it. Um, maybe things will be different with Triple H. Maybe they'll be exactly the same because as much as people want to say that Raw is different, it's not a whole lot different. Yeah, uh, I haven't uh, gone out of my way to watch any of the new stuff yet under uh, under Paul, but he is the biggest babyface he's ever been in his entire career right now um, as we get a cat running. And, um, you know, I just don't, you know, I don't know that the grass is necessarily going to be greener over there for Buddy Matthews in particular, like Andrade and Malachi might get bigger roles on TV, but I also don't think that's inherently guaranteed for them. So just something to consider there, I suppose. But I mean, it's just kind of like, well, you know, if Buddy Matthews goes, I, he was the third guy in a stable. Um, now it does bring up some questions about if um, some things in AEW had happened differently, would they have gone would they be happier? And what I'm specifically thinking about is some of the less successful storylines on the men's side, such as the Scorpio Sky, Men of the Year, uh, Mega Push of late 2021 into early 2022. And if, uh, you know, that instead had been a push involving the House of Black uh, dominating the TNT Championship for that time period, or Andrade having a bigger role, what the backstage environment would be like. But I, my question to you is, um, what would you do if you uh, were Tony Khan and Buddy Matthews or Andrade or Malachi came up and said that they won out of their contracts with uh, assumedly two to four years left on them, give or take? I would. That's a really good question because they have the potential to be top guys or top of the mid card. Uh, and if they're booked correctly and utilized properly because they can all work, they all have a lot of traits that you want to see in some of your top workers, but they were never really pushed that way. And I wonder if they saw AEW as an opportunity to be able to get that push. Um, and if they want out of their contract, if they decide, Hey, you know what? I'll sign a six year contract. Well, if they want out, sure they can get out, but I, they, Tony Khan has every right to limit him from going to WWE. And Tony is a wrestling nerd. He is a, a guy who used to post on the observer board incessantly. He's one of us. He is a wrestling junkie. 
He knows what happened with WCW and WWE. He also knows what kind of bad look it is for one of his wrestlers to jump all of a sudden immediately and go over to the other side. I would think that they're going to have at least a six-month clause where they are not allowed to uh, go and work for WWE, and they would be allowed to work indies so, you know, they can survive. I I would think that that's how it would work. Um, You have to be very careful because... Whatever Tony Khan does here is going to set precedent. We talked about it last week. It, this is going to set precedent moving forward for anybody who asks for their release. And Tony needs to make sure he's very calculated about how he goes about it because he can't just decipher, oh, you're a bigger star, so you get this. Oh, you're not a big star, so you get this. Like, just He's got to walk a fine line. If, if it's a four-year contract, I don't even think making him uh, sit out a year is unfair because that's only 25% of what they had committed to you. So I'm very interested to see kind of how it unfolds, but Tony Khan is obviously going to try and play this as calculated as he can because he lived through WCW, WWE, Monday Night Wars. Yeah, and the other thing is that while this is a company that he owns with his father and they want it to be financially successful, this is not not a situation like Turner where you will eventually have to be held accountable by a public and traded company as to why you're wasting money. If you wanted to just sit on Buddy Murphy's contract or Buddy Matthews' contract or Andrade or even Malachi Black, you know, they have enough, they're billionaires, they can eat that money if they need to. You know, I don't think that's something that they would want to do on a large scale, but if they felt it was necessary, I mean, they could just say, all right, well, you're on a five-year contract. You know, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here, but you're not going anywhere else. Yeah, I, I could see them doing something similar with CM Punk, and obviously we don't really have any news regarding the Elite and CM Punk situation, but if they wanted to terminate the business relationship with CM Punk, that could be one way to do it is just kind of let him sit out the contract and um, how this all plays out. is going to be very interesting. It could take years for this to truly unfold and understand what's going on as far as how Tony Khan is going to handle his contracts, but it is very exciting to have people wanting to jump back and forth because it is healthier for the wrestling business. It's healthier for the talent and it's honestly, it's better for the fans too. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, that free agency is what helped make the Monday Night Wars uh, so interesting. And being able to have two large, viable companies that can really compete for talent will help keep the scene interesting all around. And having an interesting scene is always a good thing. Um, Speaking of interesting, we got a women's debut at Grand Slam, Fred. And unfortunately, it was not Sasha Banks like a lot of people would have wanted. It was the former Paige Soraya, who debuted uh, to some very interesting music uh, from Falling in Reverse. And obviously, she has a relationship with Ronnie Radke, the front man of Falling in Reverse. And she debuted right after the Fatal 4-Way, where Tony Storm um, reclaimed her interim women's championship. And she got a massive crowd reaction. But is that all she's going to do? Because as of right now... Uh, per Dave Meltzer, she has not been very cleared, in quote, as of very recently. Yeah, I, you know, the question is, how recent is that? And if that really means anything, because when she came out, the announcers were definitely talking like she would be in the ring. I remember at some point, I think it was Taz that said she can go. So taking that at face value, you know, it doesn't sound like she is going to have to be on the shelf any 
I would be surprised if Tony Khan signed her, knew that she couldn't work, and debuted her in that manner. Um, because the way she was presented was definitely not as a manager or some kind of outside the ring role. She very much came across as an in-ring star to be. So definitely something to keep an eye on, I do suppose. But I think that she'll make a good addition to the company if she can go in the ring. Um, one thing that I think uh, will be interesting is if something does go wrong with her. Because I feel like within wrestling reporting, it, the way that they would handle Paige getting hurt in the ring on her return would be very different to, say, Brian Danielson or Edge or Christian receiving a serious injury that would end their careers. Um, I just think that the way people process it when it comes to women wrestlers is different uh, for better or worse. And I think that we could possibly see that come into play if, God forbid, something does happen. Yeah, I think so, too. And how this all plays out is going to be very intriguing because if she, even though she isn't uh, a top tier in-ring worker, she is a good worker. And if she's able to go, it will help improve the women's division, especially as they try and build out depth. Cause right now they don't have a lot of depth and it really got hurt when Thunder Rosa quote unquote left the company. Yeah. Uh, I think she can definitely help out. You know, I don't know if she'll be some big uh, ratings changer, you know, it'll depend on how uh, much of that pop was we want to watch Paige and how much of it was just, oh, big surprise. Uh, but, you know, I think she definitely has the potential to be a difference maker. She absolutely does. And speaking of difference makers, Fred, a lot of celebrities on this show, multiple rappers. Um, I have a hot take. I, I don't really think it makes a difference here. Um, it's cool. Um, obviously for, um, small sections of the fan base, anytime that you have, uh, musicians of any kind or celebrities come in, it's going to resonate with a certain portion of the fan base. And you're probably going to be able to draw some of their fan base in as well. But, uh, I don't know what the numbers are for keeping these people. I just don't see it being very high. Um, like I love music. I love rap music. None of this did anything for me. I don't understand why. Like, this is supposed to draw me in. Um, I I just think it's a trope that worked really well in the 80s and 90s, especially with, like, the rock and wrestling connection on MTV. Like, Joe Lanza said it best on the flagship, and I'm going to borrow this from him. Fame is different now. It's You're not going to be able to go around to 100 people, and they're going to know who, like, the biggest pop star in the world is. You ask the 100 people who the biggest pop star in 1985 was, they're all going to tell you Michael Jackson. It, it was just the way we consume media is so inherently different. Everybody's in their subsection and you don't have a lot of broad topics as far as media that just everybody is aware of. Like I like rap music and I didn't necessarily like connect with any of these rappers. Like I, I, I just felt like they're trying to do these things and it just, it's not not going to work the way that they hoped it. I almost feel like it's a waste of resources. I think it depends on what they want the end result to be. If they want it to be an increase in attendance or TV ratings, I don't really think that's going to happen on any major level. If it's just an attempt to seem cool and just kind of have a general vibe of coolness uh, by being able to have like Action Bronson do a match or you know whatever, I think that's viable, and I think that that probably does have some level of value. 
but I don't think it's going to have any kind of a direct effect on business. Um, I personally thought that like Action Bronson was probably more than nothing. Uh, but I thought the Fabulous and Trina probably really didn't make any kind of a difference whatsoever. Yeah, I don't think it really made much of a difference either. Um, but it is what it is. Um, they're going to get buzz in certain circles that they wouldn't get buzz in before. And hopefully they have some metric where it says it makes a difference. And if it does, good for them. Um, speaking of making a difference, John Moxley is still the GCW world champion. And now he is the AEW world champion and something to, um, I don't know if you caught on the broadcast, Fred, they did not call him the interim world champion. And I don't know if that is, he is the real world champion. Yep. And I, I thought that was worth noting that he is not the interim. He is the world champion. And I don't know if that means anything for punk, or, but because they were stripped, my guess is that that's the likely correlation. But because he owns that championship, it kind of muddies things up with Nick Gage and uh, lands on the flagship mentioned that it's GCW. Who cares? They're not going to care. It's Nick Gage. Um, but at the end of the day, wrestling's canon is AEW's canon, and that might be an issue for um, Tony Khan and having John Moxley, even though it's losing to Nick Gage. I don't think anybody's going to care that he loses a death match to Nate Gage, but Gage's career is on the line. And obviously they could just renege on the stipulation, but it muddies things up. Uh, how do you think this ends up getting handled? I think it gets handled by Tony Khan pretty much exactly how John Moxley wants it to get handled. If John Moxley cares deeply about protecting the belt, then they'll figure out a way to protect the belt. If John Moxley says, hey, I want to do the job for Nick Gage, he's a big deal to me, and I think I want to do this, then I think Tony Khan will come up with some way to uh, allow that to happen. Um, I do think it feels very much like they're going to put the belt on Gage. It doesn't feel like Gage really had any intention of retiring in the short term like this, um, just from the little bit I've seen and read. Uh, but it's really, I mean, it's going to come down to basically, I think, John Moxley more than even Tony Khan. I think that this is a situation where Moxley can go to Tony Khan and say, hey, I want to lose the belt to him. And I want to, you know, I want the GCW belt, of course. And uh, so we got to figure out a way to do this. Now, does that mean that it's going to be um, the worst nightmare of the people who hate all the run-ins on Dynamite and Rampage? Yeah, probably. I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, fuckery going around with the finish, for lack of a better term. But it, you know, it's wrestling. They will find a way to uh, to make it work. Yeah, and it's it's a death match. All it's going to take is uh, John Moxley gets hit with a pane of glass or something, and oh, that's it, game over. Like yeah. there's there's ways they can get out of it, and I'm very intrigued to see how that happens. And kind of moving forward to finances, uh, Fred. A um, couple of things. Um, there's speculation that NBC. Comcast might want to purchase Warner Brothers Media, which could create some interesting uh, dynamics considering that uh, Peacock is the host of the WWE Network now. And MJF has heard, or sorry, Meltzer has heard that MJF is getting paid over a million dollars per year. Uh, some interesting financial news here. A um, million dollars per year. I don't know what a lot of wrestlers get paid. Obviously, not most of that isn't public information. That doesn't sound too bad. 
for MJF, considering how long he's been in the business, how long he's been with AEW, and how long he's actually been a top guy. But the one that I think we should focus on is if Warner Brothers gets sold out to NBC, how that can impact AEW moving forward. Yeah, America doesn't really try to stop monopolies anymore, so that's not a concern, I don't think. It would be <laughs> shocking if uh, any court anywhere was like, I think this company's too big and I'm going to do something about it. That's just kind of something we haven't done in several decades. Um, I think that uh, that might be the biggest concern for AEW is the continuing conglomeration of the media space. You know, if, if it keeps happening, then... That they may run out of viable partners to give them money. Of course, WWE faces the same concern. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint to, well, you know, they'll want to go with WWE because it's the more established brand and is bigger, is that AEW can point to their similar, you know, fairly similar success at a lower cost and be like, yeah, but we'll save you money and you'll still be doing practically as well. So, I don't know. It, it seems very... Uh, very much based on speculation to have any kind of major concern off the same point. It is something to watch, but if anything does happen, it will move at a slow pace just because that's how those kind of deals typically move. Absolutely. It'll move at a slow pace. And I cannot wait for Eric Bischoff in 83 weeks to compare this to the AOL time Warner merger that ended up costing him um, WCW, which will be bad for literally everybody. Um, aw definitely in the mud uh mjf <laughs> getting paid a million dollars uh i mean that's probably fair for him i think at this point he that would make him one of the higher paid people in the company and i don't know that you can really argue that mjf is not one of the bigger stars in the company at this point in time so oh yeah he's definitely one of the bigger stars in the company he's involved in a massive angle where he could potentially quote-unquote cash in the chip which i think could really rub a lot of AEW fans the wrong way. What do you think about him cashing in um, at a moment's notice? It would obviously fit the MJF character, but as far as the tone of the AEW promotion, it feels like it could be a massive misstep. I think that it would be the wrong thing to do, but I also don't know that it would cause any kind of major damage to the promotion. I think there's probably a way you can book it. Now, mind you, I wouldn't really be all that interested in booking it. And the fact, I don't really like that they're teasing that this could go the way of a money in the bank cash in. I would much rather they, you know, if anything, go the Lucha Underground, uh, I think it was the gift to the gods route, and be like, hey, we'll give you a match whenever, as long as I have a week to promote it. Um, if, if they were doing something like that, I'd be much more on board with it. The idea that this is going to turn into a briefcase, you know, gimmick is not really something I'm into at all. Uh, but I don't think that the effects of it would be major, assuming that it was handled well and, you know, built upon going forward. You know, it, since MJF is a heel, um, ostensibly, we can talk about the reaction he got with the Wheeler Yuta segment. Um, you know, you could argue, oh, it's a very heel move to win the title from the baby face in a rather bullshit way. And in that regard, I think that's correct. I, you know, technically, I think that it would, it's obviously much worse to have a top baby face or an upcoming baby face win their first world title as a, a world, you know, as a money in the bank style cash in. I think that WWE shown that that, you know, definitely didn't help people like Big E in the past when they had their first title wins come in that manner. Um, 
I think that they could do it and it would be fine. I don't think that they should, though. Yeah, I don't think they should either. And I'm very intrigued to see how how they end up playing this out. It feels like that they are just trying to get they just get some buzz and get MJF teasing it, and then he'll just he'll probably just cash in a full gear. And, yeah, and, I, I'd and, imagine it ends with a called shot cash in. I will face you at full gear, and I will take the title kind of deal. Yeah, I, I think so, 100% too. Um, and then kind of last piece of notes before we get into Grand Slam, Dynamite, and Rampage, Ruby Soho is having surgery for the broken nose that she suffered at All Out um, from the um, Thai KO. Mm-hmm. And just unfortunate uh, luck for Soho, who was on a pretty good run with... Uh, uh, with AEW. Yeah, that should put her out for about a, a month or two. I don't think this will help her cause. It definitely feels like she's been lost in the shuffle over the past few months. Um, and I think that her uh, position in the company has suffered as a result and missing more time won't help. The upside is that this could give her a renewed focus when she does return. Uh, so maybe this could turn into a blessing in disguise, but uh, it's all a wait and see game at this point. I'd imagine just guessing off the top of my head uh, without doing any proper research that she'll probably miss uh, four to eight weeks, give or take on recovery time. Uh, she could probably come back, I'd assume, in a couple weeks if she wanted to do the uh, LeBron James style face mask. But that just seems unlikely. Uh, it just seems like they'll probably have her just completely healed before she returns. But that's just a barely educated guess do the handsome cody rhodes gimmick where he has to wear the face mask for like i don't know like six months and i i that that could be fun for soho who i think could have have some creativity with it i think brandon cutler is still doing the the face mask gimmick isn't he he is he is doing the face mask gimmick but speaking of gimmick fred we got a lot to talk about this grand slam show what were your overall thoughts i thought both nights were very good, and I was really surprised that Rampage was on the same level as Dynamite. I thought it was. Uh, I thought both nights were rather good. Uh, Dynamite was uh, was pretty good. Now I do have to note that if I missed anything that was kind of subtle on the audio, I apologize in advance because I got to watch uh, the Dynamite show with about five industrial fans going in the bathroom, uh, three rooms away from me, thanks to a plumbing issue. So, uh, you know, it was just kind of like a, uh, a SmackDown from five years ago. Um, but, yeah, I thought that the Dynamite in particular was a great show. Uh, like, you know, I think I forget if it was an eight or a nine that I gave it on the column. But, you know, several great matches. Uh, the few angles that were there were um, quite good, uh, but short. Um, I think some of the matches were, were a little disappointing compared to uh, expectations. If you're being uh, well, not even harsh, but I thought the like the acclaimed and Swerve and Glory was good, but also down notably from the pay per view match just a few weeks ago, and I do think that uh, hurt it some. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but it was still a success of a show. Very success of a show, and let's talk. Let's start by talking about uh, Dynamite kicked off. Well, just leaving Jonathan Gresham in absolute shambles with an ROH World Title match. And it was uh, Chris Jericho challenging Claudio Castagnoli. And Jericho wins in a very interesting way because 
one, he did adhere to the code of honor after a little bit of hesitation. And then when he did adhere to it, he ended up cheating to win by uh, kicking Claudio where the sun don't shine and uh, hitting the Judas effect for the one, two, three. Um, later on, um, I cannot remember if this was Dynamite or Rampage, that the Jericho Appreciation Society was all talking in the back and Garcia kind of challenged him like, like, you know, you didn't really win that with honor and they're going to have a celebration next week on Dynamite and that could finally be where we get the breakup of Garcia and Jericho. I thought this was good. It was a professional wrestling match with two guys who know how to work, who did a really good job uh, blending their spots together. I went four stars on this, just a really solid, different style opener for AEW. And now that Claudio has lost the ROH title, um, and now that's on, of all people, Chris Jericho, th- this leaves a lot of open possibilities, including uh, this week on Dynamite, when Jericho defends the title against Bandito. What a TEW style save. Like, it's great I, stuff. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I will note that uh, Jonathan Gresham's PWI ranking has got its revenge. Uh, Gresham is ranked 10th, while uh, Cesaro was only 191st in the most recent ones. So, really, who could say who's better? Uh, Jericho, by the way, is 22nd. So, obviously, he's going to have to do the job to Gresham when he comes back. Um, I think that uh, I love this match, actually. I, I loved it. It was a really good technical match with uh, there's like one or two nitpicky spots you could, uh, you know, point at but overall i loved it i thought that the ending actually worked really well given the story that they're telling with uh jericho and garcia and i went four and a half stars on it um i thought it was just fantastic Uh, i think the garcia story has been really good storytelling uh kind of subtle for wrestling um especially uh compared to what they did in the main event of the show um yeah i and, and the segment on rampage was very well done where it wasn't even as uh as outright as hey i'm going to challenge you it's just hey we need to talk chris and chris going ah we'll talk uh next wednesday when we're having our in-ring celebration and that's pretty clearly when it's all going to fall apart with regards to garcia and the uh jericho appreciation society yeah very very on brand for the group and very intrigued to see how everything plays out with the jas um as the show moves forward um they went uh pretty much balls to the wall. Um, the next match was the acclaimed finally getting their tag team title in over swerving our glory. Um, this was a really fun match. It, it gave a lot of shine to the new champions and it did not make the, the losing team uh, swerving our glory look weak in any way. But the biggest point of contention here, Fred was the fact that Billy Gunn got involved and hit the famouser on uh, swerve on the outside having to cheat to win. Um, I thought this was fine because obviously Billy Gunn is a humongous, humongous part of the act. And on top of that, um, Swerve had used the boom box um, earlier on in the match to try and gain an advantage. Like I, I thought this all went off really well. The crowd was super hot for it. You not only put over an act that you grew organically because Tony Khan put this tag team together and you made them into honestly your hottest act in the company. You take advantage of it. They got the chase. Now it'll be interesting to see if they can actually do something with the titles or if they are just going to be a chase team. And Anthony Bowens 
when it wasn't really talked about, but he is the first openly game major champion um, in one of the major American companies, which is a big milestone. It but is. it wasn't talked about like it was because Anthony Bowens isn't a gay wrestler. He is a wrestler that's gay. And it it's really cool that it, he's just being praised for being a champion and not uh, having a sexuality come into it, which I thought was a very nice touch by AEW to just tr- he's just a wrestler. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I like this match. I think I gave it four stars. Um, my, I think there are some structure issues with it, uh, specifically when Max Caster. I thought that they tried to get a little too cute when they did the Max Caster knee injury in the middle of the match that didn't really lead anywhere, assuming that's not an actual knee injury, which there really hasn't been any indication of it being that. Uh, but it felt like that they were trying to find a way to extend the um, Swerve in Our Glory control period and having that be the spot that led to that. But it audibly deflated the crowd. <laughs> and it's very much not what they wanted to see. As for the Billy Gunn spot, I think that it was a good idea on paper as revenge for uh, Swerve cheating earlier with a boombox. I just think it came too close to the finish and should have been more immediate as a response to that cheating spot. Um, but, you know, those were rather minor points. Uh, Keith Lee had some really amazing uh, high spots that he did in this match. He did a Rana, that, like a, a jumping Rana that was just amazing. Um, Swerve did like a 450 springboard, at, I guess, leg drop to the guys on the outside. That was very impressive. Um, and then Lee did, there was also a, a top rope moonsault that Keith Lee did that was just wild to see that missed. But, you know, I don't think you'd want him to actually hit that. <laughs> um, I don't think that'd be a good time. But yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, crowd loved it so much. And then they immediately went into FTR challenging them backstage only to be interrupted by the gun club who in turn challenged them and mocked them and uh yeah um that was a segment it'll set up a match uh i don't i don't think it's been announced for the coming dynamite but it kind of feels like it'll be this coming dynamite uh if i were to guess but in the near future regardless this was fine you know it's a way to give ftr a direction that'll um Hope out beyond just, hey, please vote Dax Wrestler of the Year. Uh, good old Dax. Uh, I think it'll be a fun match, and I really hope that it gets um, gets enough time to be a good match because I think the AEW could have something with the Gun Club, but they're going to s- continue to need time and development, and working with teams like FTR is going to be a really big deal. Um, as the show moved on, All-Atlantic Championship match, Orange Cassidy versus Pack. I don't know. I it felt like that nobody really cared about this match, Fred. It just kind of existed on a plane and it was good work, but it never really grabbed me. I thought it was I gave it three and a half. It was just kind of there. Yeah, it was I mean it was a solid match, but it was definitely not as good as their one on pay-per-view a couple years ago. Um, it felt like a lot more shtick from Orange Cassidy and uh, Pac not going at full speed yet again after the Kip Sabian match that I was a definite disappointment in my mind. Um, yeah, just very, I mean, it was just kind of there. Um, crowd was into it, but not like too into it. Um, entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I went three and three quarter. 
that's about all you can say. It's it was a good match, nothing wrong with it, but was not very engaging. Um, now you did skip over the Yuta MJF promo here uh, that was in between those two last two matches, uh, uh, which I thought was definitely newsworthy. Um, in that Yuta, I mean, he's definitely developing as a promo, but is nowhere on the level of MJF, which isn't a surprise. But it, the crowd, like, it took. Basically, the most heel thing that MGF could do in that situation, which is attacking Tony Schiavone, for them to start booing him. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe I missed that. That was that was definitely a, a huge uh, turning point in the match. I, what was really interesting to me about that is they sent Utah out to do that, and Utah itself is. is a good, good, good worker. He has the potential to be a star in this company down the line, but you can tell his mic skills, not even close to being where they need to be. And honestly, that's probably the most frustrating part. You basically put him out to pasture. You put him out to die against MJF. And now you got Wheeler Yuta, who is just the ROH pure champion. Who's in the biggest, like quote unquote faction in the company right now with the elite, not being there in the, Blackpool Combat Club, like you made Yuta look like an absolute geek, and he's obviously going to lose to MJF. Like, what what purpose did this serve, Fred? It, it felt like he was just let left out to dry. I don't think the intention was to do that. I honestly don't think that he was left to dry out to dry that much. Uh, MGF definitely outshone him, but I don't think it was like a disastrous moment for Yuta's career or anything to that extent. I have a theory that Yuta is slow turning heel and leaving BCC in the near future. Uh, going back to how um, the title handover to Garcia after Yuta lost it by Brian Danielson went. Uh, and how no members of the BCC came out to have his back um, during the segment while Morrissey just uh, came out and, you know, messed him up. Um, so that's just my pet theory. It, I may be reading too much into things, but I think that's where it's headed, if I were to take a guess. Yeah, I, that makes some sense. Um, I, I really hope that um, Yuta can rebound from from this a little bit, but... I mean, I, I I'll give all right. I'll, I'll give Tony Khan the benefit of the doubt. It just felt like like we talked last week about Luigi Primo, right? And how it was the absolute perfect spot for a guy that one is an indie wrestler, two is a meme wrestler, and the fact that he gets kicked into oblivion doesn't hurt anybody on your roster. And I felt like this hurt Yuta um, a bit, like talking ability with the fans because MJF just it was. It was like watching Aaron Donald go up against a high school offensive line. Like, it, it just didn't feel fair. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, I can't disagree. Um, I think that they probably didn't think it'd go that poorly for Utah when they put it on the you know, the board backstage. 
Uh, I think everyone, I, I was kind of shocked by just how much of a babyface reaction MJF got coming out. Like, I expected a pop for him to come out, and then eventually the crowd turning on him to some extent, even though he was uh, at his hometown. But, you know, it was definitely more than I think you could have expected, in, in my opinion. Maybe I'm off uh, on my own world there, but. Yeah, that, we'll see how it ends up going. Um, next up on the show, now correct me if I'm wrong, because I am forgetting, um, I'm forgetting the, whatchamacallit, um, like the segments. I believe the next part of the show was the women's match, correct? Yes, unless you want to go in depth on Diamante introducing Trina. Ah, look, uh, we kind of already talked about the celebs. Yeah. They do absolutely, they did absolutely nothing for me. Now, if you get Gronk up in here, I will be excited because that is something that I can get behind. I was really into his appearance at WrestleMania a few years back, but this, like Trina, I understand the connection. Um, she is the baddest bitch. And then you had the connection with Jade Cargill calling herself that bitch makes total sense. I totally get the correlation. Problem is I don't care. And we already talked about that. So we don't have to dive into it, but the women's four way I thought was pretty good. I thought it would have been better if Jamie Hayter was in instead of Serena Deeb. And I think Serena Deeb's a good pro wrestler, but I thought that dynamics uh, with Hayter and Baker would have been better served in this spot. But obviously Hayter was saved for the uh, aftermath and we get uh, Tony Storm rolling up a bloodied Britt Baker. And I'll tell you my favorite part of the match, Fred, and like the match itself is fine. I have no qualms about it. Gave it three and a half stars. Good work. Not overly impressive, but Baker sees that she gets absolutely lambasted in the face for what feels like the 30th time in this company. And she takes it and just wipes her face and just, just smears it all over her belly. And just like, uses it to her advantage, gets the look in the camera like she did in the um, St. Patrick's Day Slam uh, lights out match against Thunder Rosa. She understands, even though she's not necessarily the best as far as the technical side of entering work, she knows how to play to the crowd. She knows how to play to her surroundings and how to take advantage of moments like that. And I commend her for being a tremendous pro wrestler in that sense. She saw her face was disgusting and bloody, and she took advantage. That itself was five stars. Yeah, it's unfortunate that she's had enough practice now to, like, immediately once she starts bleeding, be like, well, I got to wipe this somewhere. Get it everywhere I can. Um, yeah, her face just uh, exploded when uh, Athena tried to do, I guess it was a double Samoa drop, I think. Uh, and Baker kind of slipped out and then uh, just ate all of uh, Athena's back, if not also, I forget if it was Deep or Storm on that spot. But that sucked so much. And for Britt Baker to not only like be, have the wherewithal to like be like, I got to get this blood going so I look good on the hard cam. Uh, but to then like immediately go into the go home spot of the match was very impressive. Um, just uh, as far as a uh, performance from her. Um, I thought this was a pretty good match. Um, I will say that, uh, that Athena has a great uh, self when she gets DDT that I think is up there with like Pac, who just really looks like he's dead whenever he takes one of those. Um, and there was a couple other great spots. Like Athena did a really cool uh, slingshot backbreaker 
that I thought was very impressive. And Serena Deeb, the crowd sounded like it wasn't really into this match, but Deeb got them into it, of all people, Deeb, uh, very early by basically rolling two people up into a double backslide that she was getting the pin on that was very unique that I've never seen before. Um, that was very early in the match, and the crowd like popped for that and got into it more than they were previously. Uh, I went four stars on this. I thought there was a lot of really good work in it. I, I there was a quarter star in it just for like Baker's instincts to take over. Um, and she's she has all the charisma in the world to be a star, and you can see that every time she's out there doing something that has meaning. Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's why Baker has gotten the push that she has. She is a tremendous. Um, pro wrestler in the sense that she knows how to work the crowd. She knows how to talk. She knows how to act. And if her in-ring work can improve like MJF's in-ring work has, she could be one of the biggest stars in women's wrestling in North America. Like she is, she has that kind of ceiling, but the in-ring work has to catch up to her persona at some point. Yeah. I mean, she, uh, the in-ring work definitely drags behind, but she definitely has the, uh, star presence and that's definitely that's been what's uh the strength of her career has been to date yeah 100 percent um and then we go right into after excalibur does a bunch of match announcements and the darby get, video yeah the darby video oh give me that more of cool. those that was and, cool mm-hmm. they uh they ended up uh, opening rampage with the Darby Allen match. We'll get to that because that was fun, fun, fun. But I want to talk about this John Moxley, Brian Danielson match because I thought Danielson was winning and I thought they tipped it off in the pre match video package because Brian Danielson explicitly says, I have lost to four people in AEW and I avenged my losses to Hangman Adam Page, to Daniel Garcia, and I cannot remember who the third one was, um, but he has only lost to four individuals. So, Fred, if you remember, please correct me. The only one he hadn't uh, avenged his loss to was John Moxley. And the fact that they put that out there and it was the focus of the Danielson portion of the promo, I thought Danielson was winning for sure. And lo and behold, they go out there. They have a tremendous match. Danielson doesn't lose. He passes out at protecting him a little bit and making John Moxley look like a stone cold killer. This was great. Two guys just beating the ever living piss out of each other to try and win this match. But I was surprised by the finish because I really thought because that video package, they, uh, they gave us a tell. I thought that uh, Moxley was winning uh, from a few weeks ago. I thought that they had pushed the MJF Moxley angle just too hard. And that uh, they're, you know, basically when they had MJF cut that promo addressing all the people in the tournament, but really only addressing Moxley, I thought that was a little too hard of a tell of anything else possibly happening. Um, and so I wasn't too surprised by the result. I feel like they could have gone the other way with Danielson, you know, with the getting his revenge. But it just didn't feel like as much of a big storyline as they had pushed. And AW doesn't do very many swerves, uh, you know, for better or worse. Um, you can criticize, like, sometimes they're a little too staid in their booking as far as who wins matches. Uh, this was a situation where either could have won. I don't think there was a wrong answer. I think Moxley is a great choice to be the champion until you get to MGF, which just seems like a, a 
you know, a presumed thing coming up at probably the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to fight back a little bit. I agree in the fact that leading up, it made sense for Moxley, but I, I, that Danielson promo didn't, didn't you have at least a little semblance of doubt that he was going to take it based off of that? Or am I just reading a little too much into it? Oh, I don't think that there's uh that you're wrong at all. Uh, I think it was a really good way to introduce doubt into the match. I just didn't feel like logically that they were going to move away from the Mox direction. Um, just personally, it just seemed like that was the direction they were definitely going and uh, that they were rather committed to it, but that's just, you know, my take. Yeah. Overall, very good dynamite. I'd probably put it in like the top 10 percentile of dynamites. Just you had five quality matches, good angles, title changes, and, and a, an extremely, extremely hot crowd. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a home run. Yeah, it it really was, and, and I think we need to revisit something going into this rampage uh, taping, Fred, because you could kind of tell at the end of this that one, I thought the crowd overall for both these shows was mic'd horribly, because as we talk about this Darby Allen Sting match when we got the the great Muda run in, it sounded to me watching on TV that the crowd was dead for this spot. And we obviously at Voice Wrestling had a lot of people that we knew in the building. They said the crowd went absolutely berserk for Muda's music and coming out. Like it did I, not come across on TV at all. No, it came across like he didn't matter. And it's it's the great Muda. Muda yeah, absolutely I was, matters. I was trying to even look at the crowd, uh, which is something I don't typically do when I'm watching a show, unless like there's a situation like this. But I just didn't see any sign that there was a big reaction from the crowd at all, which surprised me because there there was an audible pop at one point. But I just think that the audio levels on this rampage were not very good. Yeah, just really disappointing because that could have come across like a much, much, much bigger moment like it was. And unfortunately, it didn't. Um, but we are going to talk about that because starting off Rampage, you had um, the modified House of Black without Malachi, um, Buddy Matthews and uh, Brody King, accompanied by the lovely Julia Hart against Darby Allen and Sting. And as the House of Black is doing their um, entrance, they're standing looking out at the crowd. And all of a sudden, Darby and Sting appear behind him, and they they attack him. And it is just an all-out brawl between these these four individuals. And this ended up being really, really fun. And I love how Sting is used in this company. Not only did he take a table bump from off of the apron, but then he got handcuffed, and he's about to get murdered when we get the great Muda coming out and making an impact and showing respect for his former rival. And then that gives sting and Darby the win. Uh, Fred, this is great. Uh, yeah. I gave it four and a quarter, just a shit ton of fun. I went three and three quarter on it. Uh, personally, just slightly off. Uh, but I thought it was a, a very fun match. Uh, lots of brawling, lots of high spots, you know, good TV stuff, really good TV stuff. And we would be remiss to not, not talk about this. But Julia Hart took an absolutely nasty bump, and she seems to be just fine, but she missed the table when Buddy Matthews accidentally knocked her off the apron, and she banged her head against the concrete. Just a gnarly bump, and like she 
<laughs> she being fine absolutely rules, but I got to tell you, that was a hell of a bump. And now knowing that everybody's okay, you absolutely love to see that kind of stuff. It's It just makes things kick up a little bit higher. Yeah, that was a wild bump. Uh, I, I honestly, when I, I, it took me a couple of days to get around to watching this. I didn't get to watch Rampage till uh, Sunday. But when I heard online that there was a wild bump that Julia may have got hurt on, I honestly expected something off the ramp or stage or something wilder than that. So just saying it was just an apron bump uh, where she barely caught the table. I think she did hit it with her butt on her way down. And basically, like, they had gimmicked the table pretty clearly, and she took out the part that she did hit, but it did absolutely nothing to slow her down. Which, in this circumstance, may have actually been good since it didn't cause her to rotate anymore and land at a weird angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was not a good time. And, uh, you know, I think she just may have jumped too far, and um, or maybe the table was too close. Uh, but it definitely wasn't what was planned. Yeah, and uh, I think... Uh, that's kind of the best part here, Fred, is even though it wasn't planned and it looked absolutely nasty, um, when it looks absolutely nasty and they come out of it scot-free, those are the best bumps because they, it everybody wins. Yeah, and if you're in the safety police, you can uh, go on about something else. I did see like a post on uh, the Squared Circle subreddit that was along the lines of, uh, you know, somebody's going to die in AEW this year. And I'm not going to say that they don't take uh, too many chances sometimes. I'm not going to say that sometimes they're bad bumps, but I really don't think it's any different than any other major promotion. And uh, I mean, of all the major promotions this year, only one has had someone break their neck on a show, and it was unfortunately Big E. Uh, so it just felt very weird, you know, to kind of, when they started like going, oh, and Wardlow got hurt and it's like, well, Wardlow like took, you know, just, that was, that's how a lot of injuries in wrestling happen is you just take a rather benign bump and then all of a sudden you hurt your leg or something. Yeah. Do you remember when, uh, Vince McMahon, uh, shredded both of his quad tendons coming to the ring? Like that was inauspicious. It he was just getting into the ring and he was mad. Like stuff happens with athletes and being a safety police. I mean, Okada didn't hurt his neck on that dragon suplex on the top rope at wrestle kingdom 11. And that is one of the nastiest bumps I've ever seen in my life. Like stuff happens and just shut the hell up, man. It's wrestling. If they agree to do it, who cares? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you definitely, if you're in Tony Khan's shoes or Paul Levesque's or anyone else's, uh, you definitely want to watch for, like, just really dumb spots. Like, I will definitely go back to the uh, Sammy Guevara-Matt Hardy pay-per-view match that I think was last year. Uh, That was, you know, there was the awful bump by Matt Hardy right at the start, and it was immediately obvious, somehow to me, but not to people, you know, you know, in the ear of the referee that something was wrong with Matt Hardy and that match should have been called right away. But it went on for a couple more minutes and was just an unmitigated disaster. Um, but like, you know, going, you know, there's a big difference between that or, you know, to just the Julia Hart bump going kind of wrong, but she getting, you know, walking away okay to, you know, being like, oh, also Dante Martin, you know, took a bump to the ramp that uh, shook him up for a second you know, and someone's definitely going to die as a result of that. Like that was the most normal, you know, like somebody getting shaken up bump I've seen in a while. It's just like, yeah, he took a rough landing, but 
you know, he was pretty clearly okay, you know, rather shortly after. Yeah, that people just need to calm down and we can go on about the safety police all day and how absolutely ridiculous they are considering they're trained and paid professionals. But we digress and move on. Um, Action Bronson and Hook beat um, 2.0. Um, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Angelo Parker. Honestly, I thought Hook was pretty good in this match. Um, yeah. he's, he sold a little bit. His moves uh, continue to look more crisp as time goes on. And then they get the double submission win with Bronson and Hook um, using uh, Hook's version of the Taz mission. I cannot remember what he calls it. Red rum. It, he goes to what? Red rum. Red rum. Okay. Perfect. Um, honestly, I thought Daddy Magic absolutely rules. Um, he might be... Um, he might be one of my favorite wrestlers in the business today, just because like he's not the best in-ring worker, but I don't know if there's anybody who makes you care more about what he does than daddy magic right now. And it, it was the promo that they uh, released on YouTube before the show was absolutely tremendous. Yeah. I really, I'm hoping that, you know, they, that someone in AEW gets in Tony Khan's ear is like, we need to push these guys more as just an act on their own. Uh, they were, you know, I thought they also worked their asses off to make uh, both Hook and Action Bronson in particular look good. Bronson, you know, ran through the ring a few times like a freight train. And uh, I think it was Danny Magic that was in the ring at that point. Just took an amazing couple of bumps just to make him look great. Um, it was, uh, you know, this was a competent match. I went two and three quarters on it. Perfectly respectable for a celeb match. Um, you know. Very solid. I think and you're right. I think Hook came off quite well in it. Gentlemen's three. It was the. It's really hard to complain about anything in this match other than if you had issues with Action Bronson being in the ring, which that he was fine. He didn't embarrass himself. He was a big guy who did some big guy spots. I and I, like you said, two made him look good, and that that is a big deal. Yeah, you know, in fact, uh, I felt like he would have fit right in with uh, the former Bear Country as like the third Bear, Bear Bronson. Well, that's already taken Bear Action. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That that would have been a lot of fun. But as we continue, Wardlow and Samoa Joe squash Josh Woods and Tony Nese. Smart Mark Sterling uh, starts the um, match by kind of uh, promoing and being like like talking a bunch of trash and saying that he would not get power bombed. So, of course, after the match, they kick Josh Woods and Tony Nese out of the ring, and Mark Sterling gets powerbombed, I think, four times. And just a really fun squash, and Woods and Nice are two professionals who made these guys look really good. Yeah, a uh, very competent squash. You know, it was entertaining. I went uh, two and a half on it. I think it got enough time to get, like, a real rating. Um, the... I will say that the absolute star of the segment was Mark Sterling's facial expressions after the match where he bumps into Wardlow and then has his oh no, I'm you know, why? And then turns around and oh no, there's some Ojo. Well, why? Like just he's he's perfect at his role. And, you know, it's kind of a shame he got moved away from Jade Cargill. I thought that was a really good pairing. And uh, but he's just he's fantastic. Oh, he absolutely is. And I think he works really well with kind of the lower and mid card guys because he is he is a little scummy. And yeah. he is he is he's like he reminds me of a loan shark on the street. You know, just it, he'll tell you everything you want to hear. He'll give you what you want. And he's just going to be a, a snarky asshole back. And just 
a really, really good um, addition to what uh, what this company has in as far as managers. Yeah, he he is fantastic at being Mark Sterling. You know, it's kind of like Daddy Magic couldn't possibly be anything other than Daddy Magic, and he's the best at being Daddy Magic. Uh, I'm glad that they have Mark Sterling and they're just letting him do uh, his shtick and making it look great. Yeah. And then to finish off the first hour of the show. Now, I will say that this is going to be very interesting because we're recording Monday afternoon. And in a few minutes, we are actually going to get the ratings for Friday night. This was split into two separate hours in a similar way to Monday Night Raw is split into three. So we'll be able to see how each hour did. And I thought that was a really interesting um, touch by Tony Khan to make this two separate shows um, and to really be able to separate the differences in how these were um, rated out. And it finished off with a great match from Jungle Boy and Ray Phoenix. Um, they went back and forth. They were doing high spots. They were chopping each other. And it finished off with Ray Phoenix trying to hit a driver. And Jungle Boy just turned it into a, into a, um, uh, I can't even remember. Um, small package. Small package. Thank you. I, I get my, my pin holds mixed up. Yeah. And I thought it was a great way to finish the match because it doesn't really make Ray Phoenix look weak. Jungle Boy just looks like, um, the underdog babyface, which he already is. And I thought it was incredibly well done. Yeah, I thought it was a great match. Very entertaining. Dropped a four and a quarter on it. Um, I think that this is the kind of match that will help Jack Perry along his way. I do like that they are now calling him Jack Perry. Uh, you know, a couple of years after Jim Ross tried to jumpstart that trend. Uh, one of the few things I definitely agree with Jim Ross on. Um, is that Jungle Boy is not a name that you will give to a top star in America. Um, but yeah, I love this match. Uh, it was a little slower paced than I expected, but they had a lot of time to work with. So I think that was why, and I think it went, went well. Um, great stuff. Really good stuff. And then after the match, you hear Christian Cage's music. Uh, uh, Luchasaurus comes into the ring and ends up uh, beating up Jungle Boy, and you get uh, Christian Cage promo. Um, Overall, I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, it was a really good segment. Uh, it'll be very interesting uh, what they're doing going forward with, um, you know, with that situation, considering Christian will be out for quite a while, I think, uh, several months, assuming it's the torn um, tricep that Meltzer uh, speculated it was. Um, he already had the arm in a sling, which showed yeah. you that uh, he's already had what he needed to get repaired, repaired. Yep, and it's just a matter of time with him, but it'll be very interesting to see if they are going to like drag it out for that long for Perry to eventually move on to something else. Yeah, I I think that this is going to be really good overall. Yeah, he's obviously going to have the heat with Luchasaurus, and they can kind of uh, get that, and they can slow build that as long as they want. And I think the big thing right now for Jungle Boy is get him on TV every week, let him continue to work and grow because they're not going to be able to culminate this feud for at least seven to nine months. And because they're not going to be able to do that, it gives him an option to be able to kind of uh, fix things and figure it out. Yeah. And I think that will be good for him, but you know, it will take time. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it should be noted that this is still one of the longest running feuds in AEW, which 
they have done a really good job with. Uh, the next matchup, Sammy er, Sammy Guevara versus Eddie Kingston. And Guevara 1 has a new um, video package um, leading up where it's kind of Dragon Ball Z themed. Um, your mileage may vary on if it was cool or not, but I got a pop out of it. And before the match, I loved this, Fred. He calls Eddie a fat piece of shit. And that is basically calling Eddie Kingston fat at the, uh, at the Minneapolis rampage um, was the entire reason why that they ended up getting suspended and all that stuff. And that's what caused the mega heat. So I thought this was a really nice touch to kind of finish this little feud. And obviously this had Eddie's approval before they went out there. Yeah. And um, you know, it's nice to see that they did the, you know, reality turning into an angle deal with two guys that had already worked out their issues to assure there wasn't a further fallout from it. Yeah. It just, just a really nice touch to use that. Obviously it was reported that um, they made amends, they shook hands and they're going to be, they're not, not going to go out for drinks anytime soon, but they're going to be able to be cordial in the back. And I think that's a really big step moving forward. Eddie gets the win with the stretch plum, but he ends up holding on to it too long because he was called a fat piece of shit by Guevara and they end up switching the win over to Sammy. Yeah. The uh, old DQ for not releasing the whole deal. Um, I thought I was disappointed by this match. I'll be honest. I thought it was fine. Gentlemen's three all the way, but you know, when you have Kingston Guevara in the ring, you de- I definitely would have hoped for a better outcome. Couldn't agree more. Um, I thought that they left a lot of meat on the bone. And I think this feud because of the stuff in the back really got hindered a lot. And it just ended up being okay, which was disappointing. Um, I do like the element of Kingston getting DQ'd because he wouldn't let go. I'm very curious to see how this evolves his character in the company, because I think it could be a interesting uh, tidbit moving forward. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think it's definitely time for both of these guys to move on and find new things to do. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of somebody who needs to find new things to do, Jade Cargill needs some uh, good challengers because Diamante just was not that. It was a pretty easy win for Cargill, who moves to 38 and 0. Um, and then Trina comes out and uh, shakes her hand because Trina is the baddest bitch and Cargill is that bitch. So that like for those who were invested in Trina, that was a nice little touch. But honestly, we got to figure out something to do with Jade. She's boring. Like she does the same shtick all the time. She doesn't have great in ring work. She looks like a zillion dollars. Just one of the best physical specimens I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. But she doesn't work very well. She needs time. She needs practice. And this is not a great way to give it to her. Yeah, she needs to spend a month in Japan doing Tokyo Joshi or Stardom or whatever just to improve. Um, hell, send her to Dragon Gate and just kill a bunch of the smaller flippy guys. Who cares? Like, she just needs to do something that will help her improve. And I just don't think that it's going to be continuing to do these sub five minute squashes. You know, she's not. If you want to learn to do a main event style match, you have to actually start doing them at some point. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think the Athena match was pretty good on the last pay-per-view, but that was still quite short. Um, so, you know, I just, 
it feels like they've backslid some on how they were booking her compared to earlier in the year where I think she at least had a couple longer matches and the opportunity to get used to doing that. So, Yeah, I'm very intrigued to see how everything evolves for her because Statlander felt like she was going to be the one to take the title off of her and they still might be planning that. But I'm very interested to see how things work out for her. Um, Golden Ticket Battle Royal. It was a battle royal. This is probably AEW's worst battle royal. I was not engaged with this. It kind of existed. It almost felt like um, the old TNA reverse battle royal at first because everybody was just beating each other up on the outside. And then they ended up getting in and doing it. Like, Do you care about an Adam Page, John Moxley match? Like, It'll be good, but I don't care. I think, you know, it'll be depend on how they build it up because I do have a little time to get there. Um, you know, it's just a matter of putting some heat on it. I think Paige is a perfectly reasonable choice for that in-between challenger before the MJF match that I, again, am, am assuming is coming in the near future. Um, this was fine. Uh, I thought there was a little glimmer of some good stuff going on when they got down to like the last five or so, but there just wasn't enough time for them to do enough to make it really noticeable. So it just ended like a two and a half star battle Royal. It was fine. Yeah, it, it existed. Um, I don't know. I don't know what actually doing the battle Royal did though, compared to just saying, and uh, Adam page is going to get the next shot. It, it honestly it felt like it was a space filler. Yeah, They needed to put something on here and they decided to make it worth a world title shot. And they did. Um, then uh, leading up to the lights out match between Paro Hobbs and Ricky Starks, we get Mark Henry talking to both of them and Hobbs bragged about it being like he beat him in f- about four minutes at all out. And Stark says he's going to close the book on Hobbs. And then you get the main event gimmick catchphrase. And then you have the match, which, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I gave it four stars. They beat the ever-living piss out of each other. Um, and Starks wins it decisively with the Rochambeau. I thought this was really good. And hopefully these guys can move their separate ways. I did think at one point they were building up Powerhouse Hobbs for a title shot. Because that kind of felt the direction they were going. But maybe it's Starks that gets gets the title shot once uh, MJF wins the title, presumably at full gear. Yeah, I thought this was perfectly solid, like three and three quarters, you know, good, not great, not, you know, one of the better all or lights out matches they've had. Uh, but I thought both guys came across really well, too. Uh, I think that both uh, can definitely be stars in the future. And frankly, Ricky Starks needs to get a rocket put to him immediately just because they need to get there. He is... He's got all the tools. He's good in the ring, and he is just an amazing presence. Uh, and they need to stop waiting for that to happen. He can be a star like immediately. I think. Oh, absolutely. He can. He can be a star right now. Hell, if you put the world title on him right now, I don't think it would be a bad decision. It would just be how you're going to get there and take the title off of a guy. That could be the only um, other one that. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, and then the one thing we didn't really talk about that we mentioned earlier in the show, Fred, the great Muda. Um, it was announced that um, Sting is going to be going over and competing for pro wrestling Noah in one of uh, Muda's final matches, which I thought was a really cool touch. Um, 
then obviously when Jushin Thunder Liger retired at Wrestle Kingdom a few years ago in 2020, he had um, uh, one match where it was just guys coming back from his past, like um, Sano and um, like all those old guys. Sasuke was in there. Like having Muda get Sting from his time in America, I think is a really nice touch. But the question is, is Muda going to work a match in the U.S.? And could he team with Sting and Darby? I think that is definitely on the table. I think that would be a very Tony Khan thing to do, which is good. This is a good case of Tony Khan being Tony Khan. Um, Bring in uh, an all-time legend like uh, Muda to work a match. You know, as long as they don't have, you know, Ricky Starks or some other up-and-coming baby face have to do cosplay Muda coming out of it for the the definition of their career. I think it'll go really well. Um, You know, I don't know. I kind of wonder if it should be an eight-man tag rather than a six, just to give some extra coverage due to you know both Sting and Muda's liabilities, um, because Sting is not what he once was. Obviously, I mean he's still able to do great stuff for a sixty-three-year-old, but he's also a sixty-three-year-old, and he you know can show it at some points. And you know, Muda is uh, just shot. <laughs> you know, he gives it, a great it, dragon screw. That was a great dragon screw. I think there's a limit on just how many of those you can do in a match to get over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that did look very awesome. I will definitely give him credit for that. Yeah, the I think that uh, a match at full gear probably would be the best bet for how you would want to use Muda. Um, and then just do it like, like a multi-man match. Do a six-man. Like, get Muda in there. Have Muda and Sting do some tag spots. Maybe you have Muda turn on Sting at the end, and that sets up their Noah match. Like, th- there's a lot of fun that you can, um, you you can do with this stuff. Yeah, and I definitely do think it'll be a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, um, and then they did announce um, a few other things um, for Dynamite this week. You obviously have Jericho Bandito for the ROH World Title, Jericho Appreciation Society Celebration. Um, there is going to be an MJF promo and then probably the best one, a world championship eliminator, John Moxley versus rock hard juice Robinson. That is going to be fun as hell. These two have had wars and it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world. Considering juice Robinson did beat Moxley Tanahashi and Osprey for the U S title capital collision um, this summer in Washington, DC having Juice beat Mox and then set up a world title shot down the line. Maybe it becomes a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. That is always a possibility. But I think this is one of those eliminated matches where I think the result is in doubt just because of the history. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see. I assume it'll be a Moxley win just because of the fact that there's a clear direction to where he's going in the future. Um, But yeah, I thought that... um, you know, I was pretty excited by this, and I think it'll be a really good match. I think so too. Um, YouTube stuff. Um, you saw a um, JD Drake versus Matt Seidel dark match. Um, how was that? Solid, total gentleman's three. I mean, you know, there's definitely worse stuff you can watch. It was the only match over five minutes, uh, which is the cage match cutoff uh, on either dark or dark elevation. This was on dark original flavor. Um, it was good, uh, but it, I wouldn't really say go out of your way to any real extent for it. Um, just two professionals working a very professional match. 
And then lastly, the best friends were on Hey EW. Anything worth noting there, or just the best friends being the best friends? It's about what you expect. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, it's entertaining. If you're not, then, you know, you wouldn't watch it in the first place. Um, I definitely wouldn't go out of my way for it like I would for just JR being really grumpy in that sort of setting. Um, you know, it was, it was entertaining. Absolutely. And then we had talked about last week discussing the ROH um, CZW Cage of Death and then the Takataichi Mania match. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the um, Takataichi Mania death match with uh, Kasai and Despi. Um, did you get a chance to watch that or the Cage of Death? I did. I dropped the ball on both. I definitely did not. Uh, my What I did get to watch, though, was uh, some of the stuff from the G1 this year, and I also uh, caught the key matches from this past uh, or last week's uh, Dangerous Gate show from Dragon Gate. Uh, I've been trying really hard to get caught, you know, get going regularly on Dragon Gate and have been struggling to do that, but I had to get this in before it dropped off the network today, I think, actually. Um, so I was watching this at like 1230 last night when I couldn't sleep. Uh, a lot of good stuff on it. I would definitely reckon I went four and a quarter on the opening tag match, which was uh, Jackie Funky Kamei and Jason Lee against Dragon Dia and Madoka Kakuda. Uh, there was uh, two matches I went four and a half on. The main event was uh, Ida versus Yuki Yoshioka for their top t- title. And then there was a six-man tag in the middle, uh, Ben K, Kota Minora, and Noriki Doi, who I think is like gold, uh, is their stable now, against Dragon Kid, Kagatora, and Yamato. And, I mean, those are all really great matches. They were very Dragon Gate, as you would expect. The Maybe the Ida one uh, was slightly different, uh, just a little slower paced. But they, you know, it's all about the style you would expect with a lot of flips and uh, very fast-paced work and very impressive uh, tactical performances. Yeah, Dragon Gate rules. Um, it's it's just a great promotion if you love inter, intertwined stories and great work rate. Yeah, and I did drop five stars on a match uh, that I watched this past week uh, because I am on top of it. It was from the G1 Climax. Uh, I thought Jay White and Tomohiro Ishii just ta- told a fantastic story in their match with uh, Ishii just being the baby face force of nature that keeps moving forward and Jay White just being the piece of crap that just keeps you know cheating and finding ways around it. And I thought that that turned out really good. Like, yeah, just crazy. Well- it's really hard to miss when it's Jay White and Ishii. Those those two are tremendous pro wrestlers. Yeah. Did you get to catch up on anything this week, Tyler? Um, yeah, I watched a lot of Kirk Cousins throwing checkdowns uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, let me tell you, that was more torturous than uh, watching Jade Cargill trying to work a 20-minute match against um, any jabron. Like, it was it was rough stuff. I I didn't get a chance to watch much wrestling this week. It was... Um, USA Today's got me, got me real busy these days. We'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that'll do it for us, Fred. Um, fun stuff. We've got a lot of really good stuff uh, coming out of Grand Slam and heading into full gear. This is going to be a really pivotal period for AEW to show that one, they can keep the momentum rolling, especially considering the absences of the elite and CM Punk, and the potential crowning of MJF as their top champion here in just a month and a half. Yeah, they've definitely set up some stuff that'll be very interesting to watch moving forward. And, uh, you know, no reason to think they won't deliver, but it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Absolutely. And with that being said, from Fred and myself, Tyler, take care. Have a good one. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.